0: Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam a. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today, even though I know the only politics in town right now is the federal election, we're going to recap the year at City Council so far. The first Committee of the Whole meeting of the year was on January 11. The four-hour-long meeting was anchored by a discussion with Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health about the vaccine rollout and a debate about the merits of the Cultural Heritage Action Plan. We know now that more than four out of every five Guelphites has been fully vaccinated against COVID-19, but it's interesting to recall at the time that Director of Health Protection Christopher Beveridge had to assure Council that so long as the vaccine shipments kept up, then Public Health would be able to start vaccinating the general public by sometime later in the summer. We ended up getting a little ahead of things. Still, After approving the signed bylaw variances for two properties on Westwood Road and another on Willow, committee got into the main event, which was the Cultural Heritage Action Plan. Controversy about the CHAP had already been established well in advance of this meeting, when Heritage Guelph unanimously rejected it back in December. After a brief staff presentation, committee heard from six delegates. Almost all of them mentioned the lack of engagement with indigenous communities as an area of concern, But they also mentioned a lack of concrete measures and the need for immediate protections for at-risk areas in guelph especially the downtown core and the ontario reformatory lands councillor kathy downer followed up with staff to get assurances that they will be doing direct appeals to get indigenous feedback while exploring the ward west heritage district since that connection point between the two rivers is considered very important in first nations traditions Other councillors expressed concerns about the backlog in heritage designations on individual properties, work that was stymied in 2020 because of the pandemic, and they also wanted to make sure that the necessary costs for this heritage work is properly reflected in the 2022 budget. Councillor Curran said that she had misgivings about the chat but was willing to work with it so long as it meant that the city was carrying on this important work. Enter Councillor Bob Bell, who put a motion to refer the chap on the floor, saying that the problem with protecting heritage is money, and this plan did not address that. From the city's lack of funding for assets owned by the corporation itself, to the increased cost to private homeowners when their properties are designated. Bell added that a heritage designation is a burden for the homeowner, and he was speaking from personal experience. Councillor Dan Gibson, meanwhile, seconded the motion, saying that the Ward West area was one of the last affordable areas in the city, and making it a heritage district would have the same effect as gentrifying it. The referral failed 4-9. Eventually, all three recommendations, including an amendment that explicitly asked staff to hire a consultant who specializes in consultation with Indigenous people, passed 10-3. Council also passed an additional motion to identify heritage resources for consideration in the 2022 budget by a vote of 11 to 2. The next week, Council had a workshop, the first of many, about three important topics that come up during planning meetings, parking, affordable housing, and community energy. Councillors asked questions about inclusionary zoning, ministerial zoning orders, and the effect of a red-hot housing market on the perception of what affordability looks like. The regular council meeting the next week was notable for the fact that all the action happened in camera. Topics in the closed session included the LPAT appeal of the 361 White Law Road decision and the potential sale of 65 Delhi High Street, And that discussion went so long that it was nearly 11 p.m. before it was over. Between closed sessions, Council dispatched the month's planning agenda. One plan called for 24 stacked townhouses, and the other was a proposal for a fifth story for affordable housing on the redevelopment of the old Uniroyal plant at 120 Huron Street. The Cultural Heritage Action Plan came up again for ratification, and Councilor Downer hoped to address any remaining concerns, with six additional motions to those passed earlier that month at committee. Those motions included an expression of gratitude for the work of Heritage Guelph, the encouragement of dialogue with local leaders of the Catholic Church about their plans for Catholic Hill, and direction to staff to hire a facilitator to improve relations between themselves and members of Heritage Guelph. Despite reservations, the majority of Council voted to proceed, with all ten, of the recommendations, including a formal approval of the chat. The longest part of February's Committee of the Whole meeting was waiting for tech issues with the live stream to resolve themselves. The Prudent Investor Standard Analysis and Recommendations, as well as the 2020 Eternal Audit Summary and 2021 Work Plan, were both approved rather swiftly after some brief discussion. The February planning meeting was a little more complicated, with four statutory planning meetings on the agenda. Mayor Cam Guthrie asked for a preemptive vote to go beyond 11 p.m., four and a half hours ahead of time. The first project up was the proposed planning amendment for the site of the Parkview Motel, which will soon become Grace Gardens. Named for a cherished supporter of the drop-in center, Grace Gardens will offer 32 units of supportive housing, and although there was a lot of support from the dozen or so delegates at the meeting, there were also a lot of concerns that checked the usual boxes of safety and negative effects on the neighborhood. Mayor Cam Guthrie tried to keep the meeting to planning or zoning concerns alone, and there were a few issues along those lines including the limited parking, the use of safety in environmental planning, and the status of parkland dedication and development charges on the project. Council ultimately approved receipt of the application, which would come back for a final decision just a few months later. The second item was the statutory meeting for the MRL Bridge, which attracted a fairly equal division between people who want the project to proceed and people that have their doubts and would rather that the city of Guelph focus on restructuring Speedvale Avenue to allow for bike lanes there. Before this meeting, there was already controversy around the bridge, because the government of Ontario had told the city in January that their environmental assessment of the project had not gone far enough. Hearing those concerns, Councillor Curran sought clarity. Was this project a road construction project, considering that it was being done at the same time as improvements to Speedvale Avenue, or did it technically fall under the trail's master plan, which was being updated at the same time. Caron wanted to make sure that if it was the former, that work on the bridge didn't supersede other trail priorities. Councillor Philalt added that Council had come this far on the project, and unless there was a terrible, underlying reason not to continue, then Council should stay the course. Council accepted the application unanimously. The last two applications of the evening were for two apartment towers and a commercial building on the vacant property on Edinburgh North, and a townhouse development and apartment block on Eastview Road. Council received those reports unanimously just 10 minutes after 11 o'clock. One week after that busy session, council met to talk about voting options for the 2022 municipal election. Along with the tabulators that have been used since 2006, the clerk's office has also proposed the introduction of mail-in ballots, but once again, no internet voting option. The recommendations seemed to hit a sweet spot between balancing security concerns and giving voters greater access, but accessibility was a matter of perspective. Accessibility advocate Broad Hocroft was concerned that there were still issues that mail-in voting didn't address like people who might have issues getting their completed ballot physically to the mailbox. Stay tuned, because we will come back to voting access a bit later in the show. February wrapped up with a brief meeting that ratified the two issues discussed at committee, and it was again wrapped inside a lengthy closed-meeting discussion, which this time was about the Union Bargaining Considerations Report, and a new contract negotiation with the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, IETSI who work at the River Run Center. March brought spring, and in 2021, it brought a discussion about the seasonal patio program to committee. Manager of Economic Development Christine Chapman laid out the engagement that was done after the dining district closed last year, and the plan they came up with for the next three years was based in part on that feedback. Staff recommended option number one, a plan that would allow full street closures Only for special occasions. There were about 15 people that delegated, including yours truly, and many of the delegates were downtown business owners in favor of the same rules used to create the dining district last summer. Some business owners expressed sympathy with other downtown business owners who felt left out by the district, while Downtown Guelph Business Association Executive Director Marty Williams expressed a desire for compromise with a more limited shutdown. There were also concerns about the negative impacts on transit, and all the traffic detoured away from the main streets onto side streets in neighborhoods outside the downtown. When it was Council's turn to make a decision, things got considerably more complicated. Councilors Rodrigo Guller and Dan Gibson began by moving option number two, which would have closed the streets for the entire summer in the same way it did in 2020. The change would have also added over $300,000 to the project, but Goller said that it would also give the city a better idea about the darts and laurels of a possible car-free downtown. It was not meant to be, though, because all but three councillors voted against a season-long closure. Next, Gibson proposed moving forward with the closure of streets on weekends, saying that it was a good compromise. The budget impact here was nearly $295,000, but that was still too rich for some people on council. Ultimately, the vote on this option failed by a 5-8 to margin, which brought committee back to staff's original recommendations. Occasional special event closures. At the end of March, when the patio program question came back... A number of delegations were hoping that council might still consider a season-long closure, while others, including Marty Williams again, felt there was still room for compromise, specifically in the form of a weekend closure program. When it was clear that no one on council was going to put the seasonal closure option on the floor, council started running down a series of different scheduling options for weekend closures and ultimately settled on the traditional Canadian definition of summer, Victoria Day to Labor Day. In the end, though, the third wave of the pandemic ultimately delayed the start of the patio season until June. March had another stacked planning meeting agenda with the draft land use strategy for the York Road Elizabeth Street area, a duplex plan on Kathleen Street, and two fairly controversial new projects. The first was another proposed supportive housing project with over 30 units that would be built near the Sheldil Gateway building from Kindle Community and SkyDev, a subsidiary of local developer Skyline. Nearly a dozen delegates offered their thoughts and insights about the proposal, including the road and entrance area and the loss of common amenity space but many people were enthusiastic about the development. Up the road from the Sheldell area, the owners of Willow West Mall brought a proposal to build two apartment buildings on their corner of Silver Creek and Willow. Many on council and a few of the delegates seemed to enjoy discussing the possibilities of redeveloping an outdated strip mall property, but there were some critiques that still needed to be addressed. Primary among the concerns was the lack of common amenity space, the absence of green space, and making sure that there was a transition between the commercial and residential portions of the property. After March break, Council held a special meeting for the midterm review of the procedural bylaw, which are the rules and procedures that govern how City Council operates. Typically, this is kind of a straightforward affair that doesn't generate much controversy, but changes to the Municipal Act by the Ontario government to make remote meetings easier created a few different concerns. While delegates were worried about the possibility of proxy votes being allowed, a measure that wasn't even being considered by the clerk's office, councillors were concerned about a motion that would direct the city clerk to come up with a policy for the submission of petitions by this fall. Primarily, they wanted to make sure that there are measures in the policy to guarantee that signatories on electronic petitions are actually Guelph residents and not bots or people that don't even live in Guelph. Council members also asked about the setup of a hybrid system where people will be able to attend council meetings either in person or virtually But that will require an investment in technological upgrades to the council chamber that could be approved for next year's budget and then performed during the election period next fall at committee of the whole in april there were two main issues while the public was interested in seeing city staff demand more wetland protections in their response to the government of ontario's feedback request for the expansion of the green belt Councilor Mark McKinnon's request for a discussion about the Transportation Engineering Program for 2021 ended up creating some friction. McKinnon's issue was that Council passed a motion in 2019 deferring any final decision on measures in the area of Downey and Niska until after the Niska Road Bridge reopened and updated traffic flow data had been collected. In the report, staff proposed direction on the next phase of traffic calming in the area without first coming back to council for input, and McKinnon felt they had missed a step. He offered a motion to direct staff to bring details and recommendations on traffic calming at Downey & Tarmigan back to council in a separate report. Although staff were satisfied to wait a couple of months to get McKinnon those assurances he wanted, they even helped craft his motion, the committee debate descended into a question about whether or not council was proposing to micromanage staff on this issue, not helping things was the impression that current traffic calming in the south end isn't working and that the city needs to do something more immediate. Although there was widespread agreement that the original motion from 2019 should have been clearer with its direction, McKinnon only got three other councillors to support his motion and it failed. At April's planning meeting, staff recommended the approval of Grace Gardens, and any initial hesitancy about the project in February seemed to give way to nine universally upbeat and positive delegations about the project, from area residents to partner groups, and the drop-in center's own consultants. Sister Christine Laser, who founded the drop-in center and ran it for years, even phoned in to offer her own support for the project, and council approved the application unanimously controversy at this meeting would have to be found in a place you wouldn't otherwise expect it the municipal property and building commemorative naming report one of the recommendations was to name the new park on poppy drive the courtney goins and malott park after three black men from guelph who had to fight racism and discrimination in order to serve in the army in world war one that wasn't the controversy with clearance from Guelph Black Heritage and the Guelph Historical Society, Councillor Curran proposed naming the park Number no. 2 Construction Battalion Park instead, after Courtney Goines and Malat's unit, since typically street names are where veterans receive individual honor, but that process is not open for public consultation like the naming committee. A staff memo came back to council at the regular meeting, saying that the original recommendations of the naming committee should stand. Councilor Caron felt that her recommendations still had merit, but said that she wasn't going to pursue them just the same. The Courtney Goines and Milott Park, along with the nearby Number no. Two Construction Battalion Trail, are now under construction. There were also three council workshops that took place in April, and the first one entitled "Comprehensive Zoning Bylaw Review." Proposed parking regulation workshop was surprisingly contentious at times. This meeting was about giving council a chance to add their parking aspirations to the review, which, as you may recall, is the first parking bylaw update in over 25 years. The consultants talked about the feedback they had gathered so far, the research they had done into comparator municipalities, and the directions that they were considering. The contentious part came when it was suggested that the city needs a multifaceted approach to parking bylaws because parking issues in some older wards are fairly different from other newer wards. Councillor McKinnon stirred things up further by saying that the parking bylaw should make it possible to get as many cars off the street as possible and into driveways, and that driveway widths would need to be big enough for two cars to park side by side. McKinnon's wardmate, Dominique O'Rourke, said that there are accessibility issues that have to be considered as well because having a bigger driveway makes it easier for people with walkers and strollers to get in and out of their cars. Ward 4 counselor Mike Salisbury then made the point that there isn't much of a streetscape in some of these newly developed subdivisions worth protecting anyway. The parking regulations will now be further developed for a first draft of the new zoning bylaw, which will come forward sometime this fall for further public review and commentary. Five days later, Council held another workshop to talk about the best ways to end systemic racism. Denise Francis and Queen from Guelph Black Heritage took part, and so did Leonel Habash from the Guelph-Wellington Local Immigration Partnership, and she talked about the makeup of Guelph's immigrant communities and some of the challenges that they face. Facilitator Marvel Wisdom and a select panel wrapped things up by talking about the importance of municipalities to build partnerships within the different community groups. The third and final workshop in April focused on how the city will manage growth for the next 30 years, from managing density to protecting water supplies. The big ticket item from May's committee meeting was the business case and staging plan for the city operations campus. Just stating, since the fall of 2019, Acting Deputy CAO Stephen O'Brien explained that staff's findings show that the campus will achieve four out of five strategic planning priorities and remains the cheapest of three potential alternatives, including the repair and expansion of current buildings and the building of new facilities at various decentralized locations. Many of Council's previous concerns about the project seem to be resolved by this process, including the new location at Watson and Stone Road, and the piecemeal way that the project will be built over multiple years, starting with the new transit facility, which comes with millions in federal infrastructure funding attached. Some Councilors also wanted to create a way to get some new reporting mechanisms for this project, and to stay on top of it beyond the annual capital budget approval only Councillor bell was unconvinced and voted no on the project committee also approved a motion for mayor guthrie to spend seven hundred thousand dollars of the leftover safe restart funding that did not cover the city's deficit from 2020 and use that money to fund additional grants meant for tourism groups and community benefit organizations May's planning meeting was a race to midnight, with half the meeting being taken up by the statutory planning meeting to turn 65 Delhi Street into transitional housing, the third such proposal to come forward so far this year. The City of Guelph owns the building, and the County of Wellington wanted to buy it, conditional on whether or not they could get that rezoning. There was a rich mix of observations in the ten different delegations. Some were concerned about the cost of restoring the building, In order to make it livable, some were concerned about the lack of affordable housing that people could then transition to at the end of their stay, and others were in favor of moving ahead with another new project that will help battle local homelessness. Mayor Guthrie had to interrupt delegates at least twice, once when someone started talking about the potential residents of the housing project, and once when a delegate started to testify that the money would be better spent building a medical detox facility. After giving staff some notes, the report was received unanimously. The tone was different, with the decision report on 85 and 89 Willow Road, the proposed supportive housing project from Kindle and SkyDev. The 10 delegates for this item were, for the most part, positive about moving forward with the project, but there were a few people, though, that still had their doubts, and they noted that the pandemic made it harder to interact with the developers and engage about the project, but Council approved the recommendations unanimously. Discussion about the York Road-Elizabeth Road land use study took council right up until midnight, and the big sticking point was the second recommendation, that a list of 81 properties identified in the study be added to the Municipal Register of Cultural Heritage Properties. Some on council tried to argue that it was no big thing to be included on the register, while others felt that just listing the properties put an undue burden on the homeowners. The recommendations were voted on separately, with number two passing with a slim seven to six vote. The next monday council met for another workshop as city staff and a panel of special guests briefed the horseshoe about the challenges and rewards of moving to a multi-year budgeting model next there was a special meeting of council to review the transportation master plan draft alternative and there was a debate about whether or not it will properly expand guelph's transportation in a responsible yet pragmatic and socially conscious way Many delegates were supportive of improved cycling, active transportation, and transit options in Guelph, but they were also worried that staff were leaving too much room to create more traffic and more congestion. One of their main issues that council had with the plan was whether the city might be able to meet its targets for modal split The words social engineering were used more than once as many on council were worried about the city's ability to make alternatives like transit appealing and whether there's much appetite at all for car owners to willingly change their habits. The recommendations passed 8-5 to and the Transportation Master Plan now proceeds to implementation planning before final passage sometime later this year. Mayor Guthrie began the regular council meeting in May by marking the discovery of the remains belonging to 215 dead children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School in BC. He said that Guelph stands with communities across Canada outraged about the treatment of Indigenous people and promoted the need to work harder to achieve the goals of truth and reconciliation. He then asked for 215 seconds of silence in lieu of the typical moment of silent reflection. In terms of the business of Council, the only item on the agenda was the ratification of business from the committee of the whole meeting, including the City Operations Campus business case. Environmental concerns raised by the three delegates prompted Councilor Caron to propose an additional motion that asked staff to bring back a detailed site plan for Council's review during each of the various stages of the campus's development. The Caron Amendment was adapted unanimously, even though we're still about two years away from receiving that first site plan due to multiple environmental studies and other research that still needs to be done. June's Committee of the Whole meeting was an eight-hour affair, and looking at the agenda, it seemed like there was something for everyone no matter what you were wonkish about. The big issue was the revelation of the completed Guelph Trails Master Plan. The plan was more or less accepted as it was, but Ward 4 Counselor Christine Billings was offered an amendment to make construction of a trail from the skate park to the water treatment plant a higher priority than number 12 on the list. Although there were some grumblings about cherry-picking projects, the vast majority of council did endorse the amendment to answer the need for more trail parity in the West End. Committee then heard the plan to have the County of Wellington manage the distribution of funds from the Affordable Housing Reserve, and some in committee were having second thoughts about giving up that authority. Staff reminded committee, though, that the City of Guelph presently doesn't have a formal policy on how to judge projects and allocate the funds from the reserve, and going it alone means that the city would need to create one. The recommendation passed unanimously. The capital program resourcing strategy was also a source of controversy, with Councillor Gibson concerned about the reallocation of funds meant to cover the cost of infrastructure now being used to cover the cost of staff to manage the infrastructure. Mayor Guthrie wanted to refer the whole thing to September's committee meeting until after the Service Rationalization Review, but the motion failed in a tie. Committee adopted staff's recommendation with a promise to revisit the matter at month's end. The Big Item At June's planning meeting was the Notice of Intention to designate the Ontario Reformatory Lands with a Part 4 designation. The province, which owns the biggest portion of the OR lands, asked for a Part 4 as they negotiate the sale of the property, but a Part 4 designation did not go far enough for Heritage Guelph or, it seems, for the community. There were 30 delegates on this matter, and they all had one message. The reformatory lands are important to the city, they have a unique place in Guelph's history, they are a primary meeting place for members of the community, and they are a rare and complex natural space that is open and multifaceted. There was also some praise for the planning staff for their engagement with the community on this file, while Heritage Guelph Chair P. Brian Scarrett downplayed any schism between staff and his committee. By the time the matter returned to council, there wasn't much of anything left to discuss, and they swiftly passed the original recommendations of staff. There were also a couple of additional motions brought forward by the Ward 5 councillors, one to direct staff to put the Ward West Heritage District study on hold until the completion of the second part of their motion, a Part 5 Heritage District study of the reformatory lands. The Part 5 study is what nearly all the delegates were pushing for, in addition to the Part 4, with Councillor Downer saying that there's a lot more worth protecting on the property outside the old reformatory complex itself, and those aspects should be thoroughly vetted before the lands are sold. Both motions were passed unanimously. Back-to-back meetings the week after dealt with the Ward Boundary and Council Composition Review. Night one began with a presentation by the consultants from Watson and Associates, who laid out the proposed eight-ward map, and the recommendation to have a city council made up of eight full-time councillors plus the mayor. After the presentation, council heard from ten delegates, who all had various doubts about the preferred option, from accusations that it was less democratic, to inferences that it was a flawed or biased process from the outset when the matter returned to council there were a great number of probing questions for the consultants that mostly centered on their recommendation for full-time counselors and whether there was any guarantee that the new model would deliver on promises of less incumbency and more diversity in terms of the ward maps the primary concern was around proportional representation by population specifically when it comes to the south end where the near constant state of growth will see ward 6 continue to balloon even after moving 10,000 people into Ward 5 in one of the six ward maps. Ultimately, council said no ward map would be perfect, nor would it be all things to everyone, and two nights later, City Guelph took up the formal vote. The alternative recommendation for six wards and 12 councillors was put on the floor almost immediately. Every councillor took a turn to explain their preference, and it was clear that support for eight wards was marginal at best. The most contentious part of the debate was around the full-time or part-time designation, and whether that was even in the purview of council to discuss. Staff tried to make the point that the Council of Remuneration and Support Advisory Committee would need direction for deliberations, otherwise they could always just recommend that council be paid with a small honorarium, theoretically anyway. Ultimately, council referred all comments about compensation to that committee, though they wanted it known that it's not their intention to compensate the next council as full-time counselors. As to the rest of the recommendation, council passed the six-two option by a vote of nine to four, with the two ward six councillors voting against it, along with councillors Bell and Goller. Councillor McKinnon tried to goad council into voting for two councillors from eight wards, because if the idea was that two councillors are better than one, then why not go for sixteen? But almost nobody took that bait. As you may have heard, there is now an appeal of the new map through the Ontario Land Tribunal, aka the formal LPAT, which means there's a chance that there will be no new map in time for next year's municipal election. The end of June brought the annual shareholder meetings for Guelph Municipal Holdings, Inc. and Guelph Junction Railway. After those two meetings, Council had their regular meeting, where there was more 2022 municipal election discussion, this time around accessibility concerns. Half of the six delegates that spoke on this issue were from the Accessibility Advisory Committee, but all delegates asked Council to endorse the AAC's request to allow the use of electronic ballot marking in next year's election. Mayor Guthrie offered a motion to direct the Clerk's Office to review EBM and bring back a report to Council by the fourth quarter of this year, and it was unanimously adapted by Council. At this meeting, Council also revisited the trail's master plan, where two delegates expressed renewed concern about the Speedvale bridge underpass and whether or not it can still proceed, given practical realities about floodplains and retaining walls along the river. Council passed a motion to have staff explore the feasibility of a street-level connection from the trail on the northern side of Speedvale to the underpass, even though Councilors thought that this project... Was perhaps getting a little too complicated for staff there was also some further debate on the capital program resourcing strategy mayor guthrie offered another motion to approve the conversion of 16 out of 22 contract positions to full-time and that the remaining positions be brought back to council for approval through the usual budget process Although the amendment was passed unanimously, Councillor Gibson again asked for council's acknowledgement that they were changing the original intent of the dedicated infrastructure levy by using it to pay for staff, but others saw it as the literal price to execute the city's ambitious infrastructure renewal plan. July's Committee of the Whole meeting was a marathon, running till nearly 10 o'clock after several difficult debates on a wide variety of topics. Committee had to tackle the question about staff's refusal to grant a permit to remove several trees at 649 Scottsdale Drive. The inclination of the staff and committee was to save the trees, but the property owner wanted to negotiate because the removal of trees was a condition of renting out space to a new restaurant in the plaza. Staff said that they have very limited options, and committee ended up backing up staff's recommendation after exploring a number of options. The sign bylaw update came up for discussion as well. Three out of the four delegates were owners of mobile sign companies, and they were concerned that more restrictions were going to have a negative effect on their bottom line just as the economy was reopening. Mayor Guthrie suggested that committee refer the final decision on the new bylaw until December 2022, but staff noted that there are several companies in Guelph who have been waiting for the formal update to proceed with their own plans. Instead, council and staff said they would look for a compromise before the regular meeting later that month. Next, committee tackled speed limit reductions. A few people on committee wanted to reduce speeds even further. An amendment to reduce the speed limit downtown to 30 kilometers per hour failed, and so did an additional motion for a blanket restriction of 30 kilometers per hour in several identified neighborhoods. Committee did pass an amendment that doubled the number of cameras in the initial phase of the automated speed enforcement program. Committee also agreed to proceed with a new arrangement where 10C Shared Space manages the Guelph Farmers Market and the building it happens in every Saturday. committee also unanimously accepted the staff recommendation to annex the DeLime Quarry property and make it a part of the city of Guelph. In the last planning meeting before the summer break, council heard the application for the fourth phase of the metalworks development. The proposed 14-story tower did not draw many concerns about height, but it did get a lot of questions about an off-site parking lot and some apprehensions about accessibility for both people with mobility issues and people who want access to the river walkway. The other proposed project was a development for 20 townhouses, accessible via a private road plus two single detached homes facing the road, during which one delegate asked for a traffic study around the intersection of Grange and Hagen. council received both reports unanimously. At this meeting, there was also a rare matter of debate around a sign bylaw variance. The co-owner of a new dental practice on Woodlawn Road wanted to maximize his signage on a new four-story building. Council heard his appeal, but opted to direct the applicant to try again with a new application and continue to work with staff to find a solution. The big item at this meeting, though, was the decision report on 65 Delhi Street, the supportive housing project there. Staff had given their green light to the now 28-unit project, but there were a couple of powerful designations that hoped to persuade council to at least postpone the final approval of the rezoning. Stephen Kilburn of the newly formed Delhi Aramosa Neighborhood Advocates Group said that the changes to the project made by the County of Wellington didn't answer all of his group's concerns. Apparently, a letter was sent to council from a lawyer representing the group about a potential appeal to the OLT, And when Mayor Guthrie asked Kilburn if that was a threat, he said it wasn't, and that area residents just wanted more dialogue before a final decision on the rezoning was made. Despite the threat of legal action, Guthrie asked concerned residents to avoid a 10-12 to month wait to be heard by the OLT, and instead try to work out their concerns through the site plan process. Council also unanimously approved the rezoning of 65 Delhi Street, although an appeal to the OLT by the neighborhood group is now underway. The next Monday, there were two back-to-back council meetings starting in the afternoon with a special meeting to discuss the service rationalization review results. Staff members and KPMG produced a report that offered 10 primary recommendations, 17 recommendations that were already in process, and 26 that required further direction to staff to incorporate into future work plans. After the exhaustive report about 8 out of 10 options, Council followed up with questions about the difficulty of lining up back-end operations with other boards and groups and whether staff was taking on too much work with all these master plans and service changes going on. After an in-camera discussion, Councillor O'Rourke proposed an amendment to make the implementation of enterprise risk management the 11th priority which Council approved. A few hours later, at the regular Council meeting, they tackled the new sign bylaw update once again. There were six delegates who came out to speak for a less restrictive provision for mobile signs in the new bylaw. Four of them were owners of sign businesses. The problems they had with the bylaw, the prohibition on the use of neon letters, a two-week limit on permits, and the expanded distance of 50 meters between signs, would then be slowly undone by council. Councilor Curran offered a compromise on permit length 21 days instead of 14, but Councilor Billings raised 21 days to the original 30, which was approved 9-4. to The distance between signs was also changed back to 30 meters by a vote of 10-3, to but the allowance for neon letters, again, was the most controversial of all, and passed by a close 7-6 vote. The next item on the agenda was the speed limit reduction recommendations, and Councillor Gawler again tried to reduce those speed limits in select areas to 30 kilometers per hour instead of 40, and again he was stymied in a fail 3-10 vote. Gawler then tried to direct staff to bring back a report in 2027 with advice on moving to 30 kilometers per hour, but that amendment also failed. The original recommendations from Committee of the Whole passed without amendment. There was also a final vote for the Dolime settlement, marking the end of a 14-year-long odyssey to finally close that quarry and protect the groundwater underneath it. Council unanimously approved this solution, and they also approved the hiring of two new senior positions for improving Indigenous relations, and a motion of support to get provincial funding for a 24-7 impact program. The last meeting before the start of summer break returned to the ever-popular topic of the Baker District Redevelopment and the completed Urban Design Master Plan for the project. Staff were pretty hyped about it, but a wet blanket from the DGBA tried to cool that momentum. Martin Williams had two issues with the project as currently envisioned. Not enough parking, and the proposed plan does not match the original vision of large public spaces, and institutional partners. In other words, this was just another condo project with not enough parking and a library. Williams and others argued that Council should proceed with the library portion but go back to the drawing board for the rest. CAO Scott Stewart confirmed that when Council approves the Urban Design Master Plan, the die is cast, and this will be the plan for the site. Council picked up on the parking angle and asked staff to affirm that although there won't be as much parking on Baker as originally planned, it still represents a net gain of 300-plus spaces between the underground parking at Baker and the market parkade downtown. Plus, because of the bedrock underground and the awkward footprint above ground, there are still some very limited options to add more parking. As for those institutional partners... They just never materialized, despite the outreach done by city staff. The three recommendations were separated by request of Councillor Bell, and while the first and third were approved unanimously, the second recommendation, which dealt specifically with the parking question, was approved in a mere 11-2 to 2 vote. Councillor Downer brought forward a supplemental motion to direct staff to review the parking demands downtown, and while that work is being done right now through the Parking Master Plan, Downer said that she wanted to send a message to the public that parking issues are still top of mind for staff and council. So that's how this year at council has gone down so far. The next meeting of City Council is the Committee of the Whole meeting on Tuesday, September 7th, and the agenda for that meeting will be posted on the City of Guelph website on Thursday, August 26th. You can find the full recap for these meetings in the City Council section of the Guelph Politico site, and you can get the Council recaps directly into your inbox when you subscribe to the Guelph Politico newsletter at Guelphpolitico.substack.com. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics at Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, You will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Anime Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at Anime Donaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out GuelphPolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week, and until then, we will see you next time.